over the past few weeks, we've had um, testimonies of some of the people that are a part of our community here at Restoration. And through their stories, we have gotten to hear about how God is present and working in the lives of these people. And we've been able to see just so many unique attributes of who God is. And um, we've gotten to see how he is righteous and how he is almighty and how he is a God who is present and um, in front of us. And today, um, the story is of a good friend of mine. Uh, her name is Elena, and her story is one that reminds us that God is our father and that he is a God who loves us and that he does not leave us alone. So let's take a look. I would describe my childhood as living in survival mode. I grew up in an abusive home with a father who struggled with chemical dependency for most of his life. His temper was very quick and destructive, often leaving a trail of tears in his path. My earliest memory of my father was of him backhanding me into the bathtub and leaving me sobbing and so afraid of this man who's supposed to be my protector. I grew up desperate for his love and his affection and acceptance yet so fearful of his temper and what he was capable of um, sometimes being triggered for no apparent reason. I never had a father that I could emotionally connect with. My relationship with my dad was very much on an intellectual level. Um, I either had to be this perfect woman who was dressed up with pearls around my neck, my hair done, my makeup on, or I had to have some kind of intellectual outstanding feat to discuss, to ever really get him to notice me. And even then there wasn't that emotional connection with my dad. I never felt like I was accepted and loved for just who I was. Um, there was never those moments where I could just go to my dad and have him hold me and tell me that he loved me. It was very stoic, very cold. Um, and growing up in this kind of an atmosphere really kind of sent me on a downward spiral when I went into um, puberty. Kind of around 12, 15 years old, I would say, is when I first realized that I didn't know if I even wanted to live. I remember passing a mirror in our hallway and catching my reflection and looking in the mirror and saying, I don't, I don't really want to live. As I got older, I hit a point when I didn't know if I even believed in a God. I had been raised Christian, so I very much wanted to believe in a God. But it was so hard with all of the emotions at that age and all of the hard stuff that you're already dealing with, uh, with puberty, uh, all of the emotions if you're dealing with high school and trying to fit in. And I just, I hit a point when I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can live with this. I don't know if there's a God. And in that moment, I had a small inkling of something telling me, I challenge you to ignore my existence. Almost like God was there in that moment saying, oh 
almost, I, I dare you to say that I don't exist. Because up to that point, he had taken care of me in amazing ways that I didn't see until later in my life. Um, and it was the following summer after this initial experience of really teetering on that edge of atheism that God just overwhelmed me um, at a, a summer camp, thankfully, that God had led me to, that I really changed my life and my perspective of God and what a true father figure was in my life. Good morning. When I introduce myself to you and tell you that my name is Olivia, you may immediately think you're my first Olivia. Or you may think I have a niece named Olivia or a daughter named Olivia, or maybe you had a dog named Olivia. And then you immediately think my niece was kind or my daughter was funny or my dog drooled. And then you think, look at me, and, and suddenly I become a part of this Olivia that you've known. In the same way that when I say that God is your father, your immediate thoughts go to the father you knew here on earth. And for some people, maybe you can relate to Elena's story, and when the minute you hear father, you think of a man you could never please, that you were never good enough for, someone who was cruel to you and kind to you, hurt you. Or maybe you're someone, when you hear the, the word father, you hear the name father, you immediately have thoughts of playing baseball out in the yard and playing Legos in the house and watching movies together and family dinners. Maybe you hear that word and you say, I have no reference point at all because I never knew mine or he was never there. It is our natural inclination when we hear that name, when we hear Father, that we want to take what we know of an earthly father, earthly human being, and say, this must be what God is like. But the Bible tells us it shouldn't be so. That in fact, Jesus says, no one has seen the Father except the Son. The Athenians were incredibly religious people, and they wanted to have an earthly shape to describe the divine creature that they were trying to relate to. And so they made these statues and images from features they understood of the people around them and called them God. And Paul wrote to them, and he said, or he spoke to them, and he said, In him, speaking of God, we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. We cannot even begin to understand the attributes of God in human creatures. This last week was spring break for my kids. And uh, we didn't do a whole lot. I was sick. My son was on the phone with my mom, and my mom asked, well, what did you guys do? And he said, well, we slept mostly. <laughs> and, of course, then the mom guilt kicks in, and I'm thinking, oh, we have to do something. So at 8.30 last night, I sent my husband to the store to get peeps because I saw on Facebook that you could make Play-Doh out of peeps. 
And sure enough, you melt them down, you add some cornstarch, a tablespoon of of oil. I know you're all going to do this after church now. And suddenly you have Play-Doh that you can mold and make. And so as I made this huge mess of the kitchen that my husband had to clean up because I still had to finish studying, there was, I was working this Play-Doh out and I thought, this is exactly what God is saying. You cannot take the things that we know and melt them down and add to and come out with God. We often hear that God is our Father. But in fact, in the Old Testament, only 15 times total does God refer to himself as their father. It's not really until the New Testament, it's not until Jesus comes onto the scene that suddenly we have this idea over and over and over again that God is our father. The first thing John writes in John chapter 1 is that as many as will receive him will be called the sons. And it was Jesus who really taught us to call God our Father. He himself, 165 times in the gospel, refers to God as your Father. And many more times as his Father. And so as he taught, he taught about your Father, and he taught you, he taught the disciples, he taught us who this Father was was. He spoke of him and that in him we have this inheritance in heavenly places, heavenly things, eternity. He taught that we have this father that provides for us good gifts, so much so that he knows what we need before we even ask for it. He tells us of this father that he cares for us. That as the sparrows in the sky and the lilies in the field, as the Father cares for them so much more, he cares for you. So much so that he knows every hair that is on your head. He tells us of this Father, that in him we find wisdom and understanding. We find security. He says to his disciples, whom the, are in the, who, those who the Father has placed in my hand, no one can snatch them out. We are safe with him, secure with him. Jesus taught us of this Father who was merciful, who comforted. And most importantly, he taught us of this Father that we have, through him, access to, unlimited and without condition. And as much as he taught us about this father, he told us how we are to relate to this father. He says that when you, now when you go to pray, when you go to give, when you go to serve, don't go onto the mountaintops any longer, but go into the secret for your father sees in secret. He says to the Jews who boasted that Abraham was their father, that they were rabbis and fathers to the people, he said, call no one your father, except for God. He told us to come boldly. He told us to come with a heart of obedience. He told us to love chastisement. Jesus taught us that God is our father. 
He taught us what that father looked like, and he taught us how we ought to relate to him. No longer according to what we do. No longer according to who we are or where we came from. No longer based on what we've accomplished, but coming just to him. And for 13 chapters, he taught and he taught and he taught in the Gospel of John. And and John uses that word father more than any other of the writers. And then in chapter 14, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am at going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see, we've heard that God is our Father, and we hear these things about how he provides and how he cares and how he loves. We hear that we should come boldly to him, that we have access to him, that it doesn't matter where we are and where we've come from, and yet the vision of our our earthly Father clashes again and again. We struggle to understand what does it really mean to have a father that loves unconditionally. A father that we can truly trust. And in our circumstances, we question it even more when we don't see the provision. When we don't feel his presence. When we're not sure we're enough. We are like Philip. He says, if you would just show me the Father, it will be enough. That word enough literally means to be fully content, fully satisfied, and strong. He's saying, if I can just see who this Father is, if I can just put a face and a name and a a vision of him, I will be strong, and I will be satisfied, and I will be content. Is that not how we feel so often? If I could just see him, I would understand his provision. If I could just feel him, I would understand his care. Jesus says, do you not get it? If you've seen me, you've seen him. See, what changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament is Jesus. I recently cut off all my hair. In fact, I cut off all my hair on Saturday, over 20 inches when we held it up. 
I've had long hair my whole life. I've only ever gotten little trims off the bottom over the years, over a lot of years. All I've gotten is a little trim off the bottom. But my sister was at my house on Saturday and trying to convince me that I needed to cut off my hair. And I kept trying to explain to her that it was kind of my identity. This is who I am. And I'm the person with the long hair. And I, this is what I do with it. And that, that giant bun on top of my head was not a second head. It was actually a hairstyle. And my sister is trying to convince me. And finally, my sister looks at me and she goes, you know, it's just kind of Amazonian. And that word, Amazonian, stuck in my head in a way that I'm like, that's it, we're cutting it off. (laughs) It took that one word, and I will tell you, I woke up in the morning and I had this, what did I just do thing, and then I thought, Amazonian. And I was okay. And I have had moments in the last, you know, 48 hours where I thought, well, maybe I'll grow it back, and I think, "Uh uh-uh, Amazonian. You see, that one word, that one thing changed everything for me changed what I thought of myself and my look and my vision, and it's just hair. And that's what Jesus is saying. One thing has changed our understanding of the Father. One thing has changed how we see him, and it is the Son. Behold the manner of love the Father has shown to us, that he has given his own Son that we might be called the children We see the provision and the mercy, the unlimited access, the unconditional love. It's all tied up in the son who died on the cross so that we could be called children of God. Loved us when he didn't have to. Loved us when we didn't love him. That's what has changed That is what no earthly father can ever live up to and doesn't have to live up to because God, the Father, has done it. That is what changes everything. And it's in the Son that we understand you have a Father who provides for you. It's in the Son we we understand you have a Father who has compassion and mercy upon you. It is in the Son that we can look at him and see his love for us and desire to be better, and in that desire, find obedience and even a love for chastisement. I always say I don't pray for my own children to be perfect. I know that's not possible, but I always pray that they will get caught because then we can deal with it. Then they can get better. We love chastisement. We love obedience. When we look at the Son, we know his love for us. That that is what has changed our understanding of who the Father is. We cannot mix what we believe into a bowl and form him into a shape so we can look at the Son and see him and feel him. And there is a healing that God desires in that for us. You see, I told you that only 15 times in the Old Testament does God refer to him as himself as our, as our father, or the father of his people, or his people as his children. But it was in the moments that they were furthest from him that he referred to them in this most intimate way. It was when Israel had 
completely forsaken God, had gone off to serve and worship other gods that Jeremiah writes, return to me, O backsliding children. God called them children when they were in the greatest point of disobedience to him. When the, in Deuteronomy, when the people had been brought out of Egypt and were traveling through the desert, and they were angry with God because they didn't see his care and his comfort and his provision in their lives. And it's then that he says to them, you are going to look back and see that I carried you as a father carries a child. was when they couldn't see him. When they were backbiting against him, when they were angry with him, that he called them my child that I carry. When they were in bondage in Egypt, and he called out for them to be let go. He said, say to Pharaoh, my children, let them go. See, God, there is healing in knowing him as Father. There is healing when we feel far from him. When we feel like we've forsaken him. When we're angry with him because we don't see him as Father in our lives. We don't see what he's promised. It is then that he is calling out to you as a child more than ever. David was a man who his father all but kind of forsook him. He had sent him out to the fields to be a shepherd, which was usually the work of a slave. When the prophet came and said, hey, one of your sons is going to save Israel, he said, well, look at these six because it can't be David. And then he went into the kingdom and he lived with Saul, who became like a father to him and then later tried to kill him. And all David wanted in the end of his life was to build the house of God to build the temple. And God told him, you can't, David. But he looked at him and he said to David, your son Solomon will build the temple and I will be a father to him. That meant more to David probably than anyone else it ever could have because David knew what it was like to have a father forsake you, to have a father say you're not good enough to have a father abandon you. And God said, I will be a father to your son. When we feel like we're at our biggest point of failure, all David wanted was to build the temple. God says, I'll be a father. In fact, it was David who wrote in the Psalms, he is a father to the fatherless. He understood in the point of failure, in the point where it, uh, uh, of brokenness, That is where God was most Father. And so too it is in your life. I can relate to Elena's story a little bit. I grew up with a dad who was mentally ill. He left when I was two because he was (laughs) struggling with his mental illness. And he moved not too far away, so we still saw him on a regular basis. And just growing up, I just rode the waves of the highs and the lows, the points where he wanted to kill himself and the points where he was manic and crazy. And we went to his house on a regular basis and, you know, we would go on Christmas and most Christmases there was no presents and no food. And one year my sisters and I, we laugh about it now, we cut up potatoes and cut out the rotten parts and we made french fries because that was the only thing in the house. 
and he built his home in this 400-square-foot little shack in the woods in a small town in Oregon. And that was the house we went to with no rooms and no beds for us, just sleeping bags on the floor. And when I was eight, my mom (coughs) remarried, and we married this amazing man who really stepped in and was a father in my life. And if you ask my kids who their grandpa is, they they will tell you it's Papa Jim. And he built us this huge, beautiful home. He was a craftsman-style builder and hand-built this house up on a hill. And that's where I grew up. And when I moved out to Minnesota in December, as I got in the car to drive across the country, my mom looks at me, and the last thing she said to me was, you can always come home. You hear nothing else this morning. Hear this, because God is your Father. You can always go home. You always have a place that is safe. You always have a place that is built just for you. You always have a place that you can come back to, no matter where you've been and what you've done or where you've gone. You can always go home. That is the spirit of adoption. For me, going home doesn't mean going to my dad's house. It means going home to the house of a man who loved me when he didn't have to. You can always go home. That is the story of the prodigal son we know so well. And all because of one word, son. The son who died, that you might be called a child of God. All of that, where I was really questioning God and where he was in my life was the spring of my junior year of high school and I went into that summer still not quite sure what was going on um, emotionally and spiritually what was happening and I was still struggling with a lot of the same insecurities and just not really knowing what to do with myself and what I was feeling. And I volunteered as a counselor at this Christian camp. Um, And one evening, we were praying over one of the other counselors. Um, Details are fuzzy, it was a while ago. Um, But I remember she was dealing with, I think, some self-image issues with God as well. And as everyone was praying over her, I had this moment of feeling enveloped in a presence. It was almost as if there was something physically surrounding me, like warmth, love. It was overpowering and amazing. And the only way that I can ever think to describe it is being in the physical presence of God. And it was almost as if I could reach out and touch something that was there. And in this moment, it was almost as if someone was speaking to me of overwhelming love. And in that moment, it was like I was experiencing a lifetime of the love and acceptance that I had always wanted from my father. 
coming from my Heavenly Father, who at that point, I would say, forever changed my perception of who a father was supposed to be. And as I am sobbing in this moment with this overwhelming joy and love, I could hear God telling me how much he loved me, how much worth I had to him, how I was his child, and it was like he was singing a song of love over me, and I could hear him telling me that I was beautiful, and he loved me. And that's what that just came down to. It was, I don't remember if it lasted for a couple of seconds or if it was a couple of minutes, but on that moment, it was like I was on holy ground, maybe. <laughs> and it changed my life. Um, home life didn't necessarily get any easier, but I had a father in heaven who, after that moment, when things got rough, I could go into my own quiet space and just let God hold me in a figurative and sometimes almost a literal sense, letting myself feel that physical, that spiritual presence of God. That experience with God happened directly before my senior year of high school, and it very much carried me through the end of high school. I still had moments of not sure if I wanted to live, but I had this memory, very powerful memory to this day that still feels very real at moments of God being there. And going into college then after that, up until that point, I still didn't quite understand what a relationship with an earthly father was supposed to be like. I had managed to separate my God, my, my father God in heaven with my earthly father, and I viewed them as two very separate entities. And it wasn't until I went to college that I realized that my relationship and my family life was not normal. I thought it was normal for a father to hit his child. That was normal to me because that's what I grew up with. And I sought counseling because I realized I was challenged by a friend in college who um, had made some kind of a sudden movement during a conversation and I flinched and that person looked at me and they said, did you think I was going to hit you? And that was the moment when I think it all clicked that I knew something was not right and I needed to seek help for the emotional struggles that I was still dealing with. I, yes, I had that moment with God and yes, I still had very intimate, real moments with God from that, but there was this deep depression that really had kind of taken over the foundation of my life. And seeking counseling and therapy I was able to work through the struggles and the issues of childhood. Um, I'm still working through them. Um, it has not been an easy journey at all, but God has been amazingly faithful. And as I've listened to him and followed him, he has overwhelmingly blessed me in my life.
and I still don't have that earthly father that I can look to, but I do have my heavenly father who has taken care of me so, so overwhelmingly. And um, when I was going through therapy, I always told myself, I don't want to be a statistic of a woman coming out of a very broken and abusive home and go into another abusive and broken home. And it took me several years to work through that initial emotional struggle and the anger that ensued that I had to deal with all this. I didn't think it was fair. And I had moments of being very angry and hurt that I couldn't have that perfect family moment. I couldn't have that perfect Christmas where everyone is sitting down and laughing together and loving on each other. That just isn't my home life. And grieving that, getting over that. And there was a moment that I remember, um, not as powerful and physically, not as powerful and physical as that first one at camp, but very much just as real of God telling me just to let go and to let him take over and to trust in him. And I would say that it was at that moment that the most healing occurred that I was able to say, okay, God, I release all of this to you. And there was this peace, this amazing, wonderful peace that just took over my life. And it was um, at that time that I met my now husband, who has been the biggest blessing in my life. And I can say now my prayers as a child and as a teenager and as an adult not be a victim of my past have now come true. And God has shown himself to be so faithful and to be that God, that, that father that I always wanted. And life now isn't any easier, but I have a God who is here to support me and loves me and I can only look back and any moment that I ever think about how I had once considered atheism, I go, how, how could I? Because God has been so powerfully moving in my life. The healing begins when we start to trust him and we can trust him because he is our father. That is the gift we have as God our father, but there is one more gift that we can't ignore. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and he saw his mother Mary and he saw his disciple John, and he said, Mother, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. You see, there is this concept now that if God is our father, then we are one and in all, and we are one big, happy, dysfunctional church family, like it or not. And in the same way that Jesus looked down and he saw his mother and his disciple and basically said, care for one another as family now, he looks down at us and says the same thing. Care for one another. 
as the Father has loved you. Love one another. Philip Haley was a great philosopher who spent most of his career in ethics studying cruelty. And he believed that cruelty existed both institutionally and circumstantially. That each of us in our own lives suffer in some way, whether it be at the hands of another or just in, at the hands of life through illness and death and other things. And he wanted to know what the cure for cruelty was. And so he was researching and studying, and he, and he came to the conclusion that the cure was kindness, that kindness could overcome cruelty. And he wrote this great dissertation and published it, and then days later recanted, deciding that kindness was not enough. He wrote that even a slave can experience kindness from his master and still be a slave. And so he turned to the mountains of France, and there was a small Christian village hidden in the mountains of France. And this Christian village saved thousands of Jewish refugees during World War II simply by opening their homes and bringing them in. But what he was so amazed by was that the Jewish people who were saved in these homes later said it was these people that restored their hope. After suffering great cruelty, being welcomed in, they said they gave us more than they even had themselves, the clothes off their back, the food that barely was enough for their own families. They brought us into their homes. And so Philip Haley wrote, that the cure to cruelty was, in fact, hospitality. If we are going to overcome the world and its cruelty, we must open our homes to one another. We must invite one another into our lives as family. God is saying the same thing to us. As he is our Father, if we are one and in all, may church be a place that people can always come. Jesus finished his conversation with Philip, the last thing he said is, I will never leave you as orphans. You can always go home. And it's not a shack in the woods with rotten potatoes, and it's not a house on the hill and built just for you. It's the open arms of a Savior who says, I've loved you, and you're my child. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we just thank you that you have called us sons and daughters, Lord. We thank you for the inheritance that we have in you. The peace and the comfort. Lord, we just ask for healing. For those who have never known you as Father, Lord, may they see you in a whole new way this morning as they look at Christ. Lord, may we as a body, as we know the Father, as we come home, Lord, may we also open our doors and our arms to love as you have loved that others might find you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.